Hello, this is Reverend Judith Laxer. Thank you for listening to the podcast of our service entitled The Key. My wish is that the food for thought offered nourishes your soul. Dear listeners, since the pandemic began, we have been live streaming our services on our YouTube channel. And therefore, the Board of Directors for Gaia's Temple is wondering if continuing the audio-only podcast is necessary. We need to know if you would be able to, and just as likely, to watch the service or just listen to the audio of it on our YouTube channel. This might not be easily available in some countries, so please reach out to us via the contact page on our website, www.guyastemple.org, and let us know what you think. Shall we continue these audio-only podcasts, or shall we stop them and have our audience listen to it through our YouTube channel? We would love to have your input, so thanks in advance for reaching out to let us know your preferences. As always, the Gaius Temple Ministry is sustained by generous donations such as yours, and we need your financial support. If everyone donated just $3 each time they tune in to listen and receive the service, that reciprocity would ensure our continuance. If you feel served by listening and wish to donate to help support our ministry, please push the donate button now and give generously. We'd be most grateful. Thank you and blessed be. Well, my friends, last month we completed our initial exploration of the nine principles of Valerie Kaur's revolutionary love. So we're going to just do a quick recap by looking at the compass one more time. Mari, if you could put that up for us, just for a very quick review so we can see where we have come these whole past nine months, first nine months of 2022. So we look at the outer purple ring and we see that revolutionary love happens in three different factions by loving others, then learning to love our opponents, and learning to love ourselves. To learn others, we must first see no stranger. And then from the center out, we explored that sense of wonder, how we grieve, and how and why we fight. In learning to love our opponents, the first principle or the first thing we must do is to tend the wound, which automatically tells us that if we are opposed or in opposition or we have an opponent, there's a wounding. And so we do this by first getting in touch with our rage, which informs us, and then listening deeply, even to viewpoints that are not our own, uh, particularly viewpoints that are not our own. And then we begin to reimagine how the world could be. When we learn to love ourselves, we learn to breathe deeply. We know when to push and breathe and push are inextricably linked. And then we allow ourselves to go through the transition into a whole new way of being. And that last part in particular, the breathe, push, and the transition, were very closely linked to the metaphor that Valerie Kaur uses, which is a mother giving birth. And in this instance, the collective, all of us, giving birth to a new world, a world in which revolutionary love is, uh, is the way to go. All right, Mari, thank you. So that's what we have explored this whole year. And so now, if you haven't already, and 
I know for myself, I have been already applying these principles in my everyday life to uh, practice integrating them, uh, what we have learned, so that we can pour our love out there in the world like revolutionaries, like those who want to reorder the world, be the ones to shift the societies in, what, in which we live to ones of health and wholeness, so I have a very short little story about what happened to me just as a perfect example of how this can be integrated in our daily lives. It happened to me just this week. I'm starting to see some clients in my office again just two days a week on Tuesday and Friday. And I arrive at my office on Friday and I have a spot in the parking lot and nine times out of ten when I go, somebody is parked in my parking spot. There is a sign right there that says, do not park in this parking spot. Then I put a sign up on the post that you can't help but see when you drive and it says, do not park here, it does not belong to you, and still. And so sure enough, I go on Tuesday and there's somebody parked. Now, I'm against the wall, you have to parallel park, so there's a car in front and a car behind and I am in the middle and there's somebody in my spot. So I immediately, I'm so frustrated about this, I get enraged right away. I go straight to rage. Dang it, there's somebody did it again. They didn't read the sign or they're just disrespecting me because the sign is there and they didn't read the sign, right? I'm all upset. So now this means, because I have a client, that I have to go find another parking spot. So I drive around for a little while and I am fuming as I drive. And finally I decided, you know what? There was a car in front and there was a car behind. So I'm just gonna come around to this parking lot and I'm pulling up right next to this car. And then whenever it is that they wanna leave, they're gonna have to come and find me. And if I'm with my client, sorry, they'll have to wait till I'm finished. After all, they put me off, right? I might even be late to my client. so. That's just the consequences. These are the consequences of your action. So I, that's what I did. I pulled in, I went inside, and sure enough, about 20 minutes into my uh, appointment with my client, I hear knock, knock, knock on the door, and I said, uh, you know what, I'm just gonna ignore that because it's somebody who parked in my parking spot. And But the thing is that it just kept knocking on the door, and so it was disturbing our session. And so I said, do you mind if I go outside for a moment and handle this? And she said, no problem, go right ahead. So I open up my office door and there's a young man standing there. Of course, I say he's a young man. He was in his young, like I'd say early 30s. And he said, I'm so sorry to bother you. I accidentally parked in your spot. And I said, accidentally? You didn't see the signs everywhere that says don't park here? He goes, I'm so sorry. I've been um, painting the office next to you. There's an office down the hall. I've been painting it all weekend and he just, he's, he, I could see he was just exhausted. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to see no stranger. I looked at him and I thought, you know, brother, son, he could be my son. And I just thought, okay. So I walked out uh, of my office and I went into the parking lot and he's walking behind me. And I said, I'm sure you saw the signs and this wasn't an accident. Like I wanted him to just own it, you know? And he said, look, I've already apologized once. I'm not gonna apologize again. This is just as I'm getting in my car to drive away. And I just thought, how dare he have an attitude with me, with me when he's the one, right? So I'm all righteous about it. And my fury flared and I thought, you know what? And I said this to him, you don't wanna own it, you'll have to wait. 
and I got out of my car and I slammed the door and I started walking back and I go inside my office. I'm walking down the hall to my office and all of a sudden I think, Judith, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're suffering, so you want someone else to suffering. This is not revolutionary love. Here is somebody who, yes, made a mistake. How are you going to practice forgiveness? And this righteousness, does it really make you feel that good that you get to cause somebody else's suffering? Like this is against everything that you have been teaching and preaching forever. But I was so caught up in my fury that I was there before I knew it. So just before I got to my office door, I stopped and I turned around. I see him standing outside and I see him looking up at the heavens like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now, right? So I walked out the door and I looked at him and I said, and I actually put my hands like this and I said, I don't want to be that person. I said, I'm very frustrated because nobody reads the sign and nine times out of 10, somebody takes my parking spot and they make me late for work. And he said, I am so sorry. I will never park there again. And I said, thank you. And I pulled out and he pulled out and I parked and I went inside because even after all, I, my client was fine with me taking two minutes out to handle this. That's all it took really was two minutes. It's a longer story in the telling, I think. And I didn't want to cause him suffering and be another reason why people are angry and frustrated in the world. So for me, what I have been practicing particularly since last Samhain, where in the ritual, I received a message from an ancestor to learn to forgive. And I have been working very hard on that. I forgave this young man for pulling in close to the, to the, you know, as close as he could to the building where he was working all weekend, painting an office. And I was just, it was just me allowing the principles to work through me. And in that moment of fury, which usually blinds us to anybody else's experience because we are just caught up in our own feeling, it came through and I thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You do not want to do this. What are you doing? Don't do this. And I turned around and changed it. Now, I'm not telling this story like, hey, aren't I a wonderful person, Yahoo? Brag, brag, brag. But I'm saying it because it's the way that these principles get integrated in our daily lives. Here's just a story about a parking spot, you know, and yet it was revolutionary for me to not continue in my righteousness and cause more suffering. Or that somehow the idea that if he suffers because I suffered, then that's going to make it equal and all will be well. No, all will not be that well that way. That way just causes more wounding. So that's how these principles can happen in our everyday lives. They just um, integrate. And continuing to integrate them is a good way to go. I, that's my not-so-short story about the parking spot. When we do this work, when we see revolutionary love coming through us, especially in those moments when we are not loving, this is when we are sowing love. So let's sing that song together one more time, shall we? Mari will put the lyrics up and we will sing So Love. And this uh, song was written by Oriel Lighton for us, our own Oriel. And I know many of you know it. If you don't, you probably catch on pretty quickly. Make sure you're muted. And here we go. 
We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are part of the solution, so we love, so I love. And we stir the revolution, so we love, so I love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We see mothers, we see brothers, so we love, so I love. And I tend myself and others, so we love, so I love. They are takers and heartbreakers, still we love, so I love. Dare to wonder what lies under, so we love, so I love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are part of the solution, so we love, so I love. And we stir the revolution, so we love, so I love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow. Let's repeat that. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. One more. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. That's what I felt I did. I felt like I bestowed love to that poor guy in the parking lot. <laughs> oh my goodness. So here we are, my friends, so close to the time of Samhain, which is Celtic, meaning summer's end there. Even though the weather here in the Northwest, it is still summary. It's hard to believe we're in mid-October here. It really is. Um, and yet, when we look at what's going on in nature, we can see summer is ending. The harvest is coming in. The leaves are turning. This is actually the threshold time where Samhain will be at the end of the month, the threshold into the season of winter, the darkest eighth on the wheel of the year. This is a time when we are doing our deep reflection and we are turning inward. The veil grows very thin at this time and on Samhain it is said that is the night when the veil grows the thinnest between the land of the living, the realm of the living, and the realm of our beloved dead in the ancestral realm. Now we know that our ancestors are always just there on the other side, so it's not like they are closer but what shifts at Samhain is that the veil itself, that barrier between the land of the living and the dead, begins to thin. And so it's the opportune time 
to connect with our beloved dead on the other side and to reflect on what takes place with them and all of our ancestral leg legacies. Now, I think it's really important also that we remember that our ancestors are not necessarily or only in our bloodline. Our ancestors can be anybody who has died, who has had some sort of a strong influence on us, including our animal ancestors, our pets and what have you. So it's not only people in our bloodline, Although today I do want to talk about what comes down through that bloodline or through that strong influence. So at Samhain, we do a lot, as I said, the, the deeper reflection, and we really focus on remembering our ancestors. And we do that by creating ancestor altars, putting their photos up and out where we can see them, or remembrances, objects that once belonged to them, and lighting candles and you know, altars are focuses for our spirituality and our spiritual sensibilities. Ancestor altars are ideal to be making at this time. We also think about them. And we can think of them as, uh, we can think of the memories that we have of them. We can think of the stories that we know of them. We can think of them now in the land of the ancestral realm, and we might think of them as all together again. We might think of them as healing or resting or celebrating. We can think of all kinds of different ways with regard to our ancestors, but one way or another, their presence is very clearly known at this time of year. Some say that our ancestors, or the Celts say, that when we die, we go to a place called the Summerland, which is where we grow young again, and we integrate the past. We integrate our past life, life or lives, and this is what feeds and enriches our souls. But the thing that I want to focus on today is to really understand what is the legacy that our ancestors leave to us? What did we inherit from them? And what are we going to do with it or about it? That's what I want to focus on today. It's really good to be thoughtful about this because if we're not, then that can mean that we are driven unconsciously by things that might not be all that healthy, whole, or healed. And so it's good to really focus here. Sometimes what we inherit from our beloved dead is a blessing. Right? Like sometimes it can be money, or it can be home, or land, or objects, or treasures, like, you know, your grandmother's pearl necklace, or, you know, things that really matter that come down the line, the tangibles. But sometimes what we inherit from our ancestors are our looks, you know, the, the curly hair. Um, it can be our smarts, our level of intelligence, our sense of humor, our talent. Um, and also our demeanor, like do we remain, you know, calm under duress? Are we generous, forgiving, trusting? These are things that can all be considered legacies or inheritances that are blessings from our ancestors. And when we have those things, what a joy and how beautiful that is. And sometimes what we inherit are challenges that we don't feel like are blessings at all diseases, right? Genetics that come down that are predisposed to different diseases. Addiction, propensity to become addicted, that also comes down through the bloodline. Debt can come down too, 
or a debtor's consciousness so that we keep creating debt ourselves. And similarly, our demeanors can also be a legacy if we're not uh, conscious of it. And so instead of being calm, we might be easily agitated because that's what everyone in our family was, easily agitated. Or we can be anxious, or we can be stingy instead of generous, or grudge holding instead of forgiving, or suspicious instead of trusting. So these are the things that we can inherit from our ancestors. When we consider the stories that we know about our ancestors, we find the key to unlocking what these ancestral inheritances are. So we can remember them with our own memories, like if we knew them, we remember when they were still alive and who they were and the kind of person they were and whatever memories we have. We can bring those memories to the fore now at Samhain. I mean, we can bring them to the fore at any time, but particularly at Samhain. But perhaps there are ancestors that you didn't know. Perhaps they died before you were born or they lived elsewhere and you never met them. And so sometimes we hear the stories about them through other people. And I think that this is a good time looking at these ancestral inheritances for us to analyze these stories a bit more, to analyze our own memories a bit more. And this is what I mean. We're not really going to focus too much on what those blessings are because if they're blessings, they're wonderful and they probably don't need any healing, right? We will take all the blessings we can get. But the things that are difficult, challenging, create hardships, what were those stories? And we look at them like this. What was that hardship specifically? What was the challenge that ancestor endured? What was the wound that happened to them because of that? And then we can ask ourselves in analyzing these stories a little bit more, what did they do about that challenge and that hardship? Like what was the action they took about it? How did they handle it or not? And then how might it have affected them? Like once that hardship happened, what were they like after that, right? Because we can see the effect of an incident and then that would just continue if we didn't do any healing. So what did they do about it and how did that affect them, right? And then we can ask, can I relate to that on some level? Am I having a similar struggle? Am I struggling with something similar to what they struggled with? Or if the struggle is not similar, Am I behaving in a similar way, even if I don't have that challenge? And this is, this is key. We can, behaving, we can be behaving in a way that is from an ancestral challenge that we are not even experiencing in this life. And it's wounded, which means that we are continuing to live out a wound. So like, for example, my grandma Faye was one of the most unconditionally loving grandmas you could ever hope to meet. I adored her and she adored me. And I, she told me all kinds of stories about herself. And, and I have lots of memories, not only that she told me about her life, but also my memories of my experience with her in my early childhood and into my teens. But it wasn't until very recently that I was having a conversation with my sister and I was just, so this was 
probably a couple of years ago now, when I was really starting to delve into this sort of ancestral trauma and how it comes down and epigenetics and all the stuff that I've been talking about in Guy's Temple for a while. I was really looking at this stuff and I said to her, you know, sometimes I think my sort of compulsions or the behaviors that I engage in that I struggle with, I, I just wonder, is it ancestral? Because I don't really feel like I'm having that struggle here in this lifetime, and yet I'm behaving in a struggling way. And particularly with regard to eating when I am not hungry, or continuing to eat when I am no longer hungry. I have never gone hungry in this lifetime. I was blessed to be born into a family that could provide for my needs. I never went hungry. So what is this constant hunger that's in me? And I started to think it maybe is ancestral. And my sister said, well, I remember the story Grandma Faye told me, you know, that she came over on the boat from Eastern Europe when she was a small girl and they lived in Brooklyn, New York, and they were poor. They didn't have much money at all. And my grandmother used to go to the alley behind the butcher in her neighborhood because the butchers would throw the chicken livers out for the cats in the alley. And my grandmother used to fight the cats, the alley cats, for the chicken liver because she was hungry and bring it home to her family and they would cook it. I never heard that story before. Now, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of things made sense, right? I have never been hungry in this lifetime, like where I had to fight an alley cat for some chicken liver. But my grandmother did, and that's coming down the line. Now, I want, do want to say that it's very easy to, it would be easy for me to blame my grandmother for the fact that I can't control my eating. It's very, very easy to go to a place like that, and that's not what I am suggesting. But sourcing where something came from can give us a greater understanding of our own struggles. And it also can let us know that if this is something that is driving us unconsciously, then it's just gonna keep going down the pike. And if this is a wound or some dysfunction or something that doesn't need to be a hardship, it's good to bring it to mind so that we can do our best to stop that now. We can do our best to shift it a little bit, to change the trajectory of it, so that hopefully those coming after us don't have to continue to suffer or struggle. So I'm going to ask you now, if you would, to close your eyes and go within. Take a nice deep breath again. And find your grounding cord deep in the earth. The same grounding cord that you set down at the beginning of the service. And if you came in after we created sacred space, go ahead and ground yourself now. Feel yourself get very grounded. Mother Earth is holding you and feel that connection. Then I want to ask you to just take a moment now to sense into how very thin the veil is between the worlds right now in season. Just sense it. And now feel the presence of your ancestors. Just feel their presence. 
Good. Now bring to mind a story that you have heard about an ancestor and it let it be a strong story about their hardship or some hardship that they experienced. Remember a story now about one of your ancestors who grappled with a challenge, even one that might be hard for you to even relate to. Perhaps this story includes what they did about this challenge or how they handled it or if they couldn't handle it very well. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to review this story. So since you already know this story, I'm going to ask you to review it more slowly, as if you are hearing it for the first time. We're going to slow it right down and consider each part of this story in turn. We'll consider every step of the story, how old your ancestor was when it happened, where they were, what was going on at the time, and what the specific challenge was. So find that story and review it now. Now make sure you consider what your ancestor did about the challenge. Think about that specifically now. There was a challenge. You know what that challenge was that they endured. What did they do about it? Consider that now. And now consider if you think that they handled it well or if they didn't handle it well. What do you think about how they handled that difficult situation. Good, and now consider how this situation and how they handled it affected them. And this is the key. What changed in them because of their experience? And if you don't know for sure, what do you surmise changed in them? due to this situation in their lives. So take a moment now and think, how did this affect them? How did this affect change them? Good. Now consider your own life. Do you have similar challenges? And if not, do you handle challenges in a sim similar way, even if your challenges are different than this particular story of your ancestor? And it might be very, very different. But do you handle those challenges in a similar way? See if you can find any similarities between your experience and theirs. Ask yourself, what is it that I inherited from them in this way? What reactions and responses did you inherit from this ancestor? Good to know. 
Now I'd like you to imagine that a beam of healing light begins to emanate from your heart and it finds and surrounds this ancestor. Imagine the light in any color that you'd like, but affirm, we all affirm that this light is healing and it's filled with gratitude. Now you might think, why am I having gratitude if I inherited something difficult from my ancestor? Still express your gratitude for this healing, for this understanding, for this new awakened level of consciousness, because this is how we tend the wound. See them surrounded with that healing light. And then take a nice deep breath and let this image fade and gently bring yourself back here to Gaia's temple. That is a great little exercise you can do with more than just one ancestor. You can just get quiet, get grounded, recall another memory of a hardship somewhere along your family line or of someone who maybe wasn't of your bloodline but still had a strong influence on who you are and do that. What happened to them? What did they do about it? How did that change them? And can I relate to any one of those questions or answers from those questions? Because that is the key. Those stories hold the key to what we inherit from our ancestors. Now, there have been times, I will admit, that I have grown very angry with my ancestors for their legacy and that I am grappling with this. Thanks a lot, you know. And there have been times when I've been very resentful about it. And it helps to remember these things if you are upset or get angry or resentful about what you have inherited in this lifetime from your ancestors. These are the things to remember. Everyone is doing the best they can in any given moment. Now, that is a large statement to make. And I know there have been times where I have looked at people and I've said, they know better and they're just not doing better. But if they're not doing better, then they don't know better. They don't truly know better. They might intellectually know they shouldn't do this, but something inside is not in alignment with them in order to do the right thing or the better thing. So everyone is just doing the best that they can. They are coping in any way they know how to cope. Your ancestor was doing the best they could given their situation, their upbringing. They did the best that they could. Good to remember. Another thing to remember is that ancestral healing is how we grow. We grow by doing this healing. So we could spend time being angry and resentful about what we inherit, or we can say, oh, this is my inheritance. I'm going to shift and change and heal this, and thereby I am going to grow. And then it is an opportunity to change the future. And this is one of the beautiful things that I love about exploring revolutionary love, is that we might not necessarily see the changes in our own lives, um, from the actions that we take, but we have to remember that we are part of a long-term plan 
for reordering the world in a healing way. And so we might not see the result, but that doesn't mean that the actions we take now are not just as important. In fact, they are just as important because we want to be the change makers for the future. And that happens by what we do now. Once we do that, we can forgive them. We can forgive them for their hardship. We can forgive them for the challenging legacy and inheritance. And once we do that, we are free. Forgiveness frees the person who does the forgiving. Blessed be. Can I get a blessed be for that? So we have a song for you now. And so here it is. May forgiveness come down like a gentle rain. May your heart let go of the anger and pain. May your spirit rise up. May you love singing that with you, Pamela Gerke. It's a beautiful song by Linda Allen. May your spirit rise up. May you now be free. So beautiful. So the last thing I want to say about this whole inheritance thing is that we get to choose what to do with it. Once we have inherited what we have inherited, we get to choose what we do with it. So let's say and all of that begins by becoming conscious of what it is that we have inherited, right? Like when it's tangible things, we know, oh, I received my grandmother's pearl necklace. Um, but if it's these kind of things, like challenges that affect who we are psychologically and affect our behaviors, we might not be conscious of it. So we have to bring it to consciousness, and then we're in the point of power where we get to choose. So like, for example, if we inherit money, we get to decide what to do with it. 
Do we spend it or do we save it? Do we invest it? Do we donate it? We get to choose because now that we have inherited it, it is ours and we get to decide. And if it is uh, how we think, then we get to choose uh, which powers, which thoughts we're going to give power to and which thoughts we're going to uh, toss to the curb because that's, we don't really agree with those thoughts. We don't like those thoughts and they're not helping us. We get to choose because we have inherited it. Now it's ours. We get to decide. And if it's a behavior, then you get to choose. We get to choose. Will we embody this behavior? Or will we choose to behave differently? Now that we have inherited it, it is ours, and we get to choose. Now, sometimes the legacy that we inherit is larger than just in our personal lives, well, like the legacy of misogyny and racism, right? Systems and institutions that uh, we must work to change together. But it always begins with healing our own personal legacies. It starts here and it ripples out. The point of power is ours and it always happens in choice. Samhain is a good time to be mindful of this when the veil is thin and to really determine and understand what those legacies are. We are blessed to be able to choose. Just by virtue of the fact that we can consider this topic, it shows us that we have resources and access to understanding that our ancestors did not, right? They were busy just trying to keep a roof over their heads and food on their table and their kids in school, right? And we have way more access, even by virtue of the fact that we understand we have inherited things that are not tangible from our ancestors, and then we get to choose. That is a great blessing. So my friends, may you find the key to your legacy in the stories of your ancestors, and may those stories be rich in insight. May your inheritances make you wealthy in every way that matters to you. May they bring you deeper understanding of what resides within you, and if necessary, what needs healing. May this strengthen your relationship to your beloved dead. May you feel them cheering you on as you choose to live differently than they did, better, wiser, more healed and whole. And may our wholeness, our collective wholeness, bring healing to our families, our communities, our country, and our world. Blessed be.